please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the third chapter of the Gospel of John. We began looking last week at a series entitled Winning at What Matters Most, and we looked at the woman at the well who had in her relationships adopted the pattern of the world and talked about how in our relationships we have to learn to do those things according to the way of Christ and not the way of the world. That I can do relationships the wrong way, and when I do, uh, I may achieve some level of success, but not what God wants for me. And this morning, we're going to look at Nicodemus in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. And Nicodemus is one of those guys who has adopted a model for success in his life that all of his peers said, this is it. I mean, if you'll do it this way, you're going to be a winner. And in everything that Nicodemus did, uh, the world said, you're a winner. I mean, he had the degrees. He is called Israel's leader or ruler or teacher. He had uh, all of the accolades of his peers. They looked up to him. He was respected. I mean, everybody that he surrounded himself with would have said, Nicodemus is a winner. But yet, in all of the stuff that he was doing, all the religious works, all the study, all the things that he was piling up, he still knew that there was something inside of him that was missing. And so when he sees Christ, we pick up the encounter in John 3. He sees Christ and he comes to him and he says, Teacher, we know that you're from God. He knows that there's something there in, in Christ that maybe can answer the hole in his heart. And so this morning I want to challenge you to allow what Nicodemus learned even though he had all the knowledge of the world in that day and time, what he learned is necessary. And then how he took what he learned and used that to make a difference so that you and I can be sitting here today. You see, you and I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for what Nicodemus did to secure the faith that we understand in Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles open there to the Gospel of John, the third chapter, if you would please stand with me this morning as we are the reading of the Word of God. Begin verse 1, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? You may be seated. May God ask his blessing to the reading of his word. I, I, I know I say that a lot, and I want you to understand, I really, I don't just say that without thought, okay? I really want God to take what we've read and what we're going to study today and to bless that into the practical applications of our life, how the rubber meets the road. And, and there's some things that we see and can learn from the life of Nicodemus about how we pursue in this world what matters most. I mean, the world tells us there are certain things we need to pursue. 
Um, you know, I was, I was watching uh, a news, one of my favorite news uh, channels this past weekend, and, uh, and they were doing Father's Day emphasis, and they were going around asking, what, what advice did your father give you? And one of the things that was very consistent is get an education, man, get knowledge, get, get a degree. And, and, and really today, that's something we ought to push our kids to, but if that's all that our kids get is knowledge and a degree, then we've missed the most important thing in life. And so that's what I want us to see this morning. As we look at the life of Nicodemus, there are things the world says is important that are if you're going to pursue the world. But there's a difference in pursuing the things of God and pursuing God himself. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles there, we're going to look. And and the first thing is that religion is not the answer. If you begin in verse 1, it says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus is discussing. He's he's trying to find out. He comes to Jesus at night. He does that because, quite honestly, he's trying to protect what he's received. I mean, he knows if he goes to Jesus in the daylight and his fellow Pharisees see him there, that he's going to be judged. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be attacked. And so he goes at night in secret. He has these desires. He has these longings to know what it is about Christ that will change him. But, but he's not quite willing at this point to risk everything that he has. So he goes at night and he begins to talk to Jesus. And Jesus tells him, unless a man is born again, and then again in verses 4 and 5, unless a man is born of water, and of the Spirit. Now, there are a lot of people that want to try to take this passage and force it to mean that you have to be baptized to be saved. That is not what Jesus Christ is talking about. What Jesus Christ is talking about here is a physical birth and a spiritual birth. The birth of water, being born of water, is the physical birth that every single one of us has shared. We were all born physically. And so what he says is, is a man can't understand the kingdom of God until he is born physically, that he understands it. Why? Because the kingdom of God is a physical thing. It's not just a spiritual thing, okay? We're not going to be floating around up there on clouds with harps singing all the time, okay? And I, I know for some of you that like to sing all the time, that disturbs you, all right? But for the rest of us that can't sing, it's exciting to us that we're not going to be up there singing all the time. The kingdom of God is a physical place. It's not just a spiritual place. It's something that we're going to enjoy. It's something that we're going to taste. It's something that we're going to feel. It's something that we're going to know. And and so Jesus says, unless a man is born first physically, he can't understand the kingdom of God. But then secondly, unless a man is born spiritually, of the the spirit of God. And and the word there is wind. It it is the same word that is used in the Old Testament to describe the spirit of God, the wind of God, the pneuma of God that came upon the valley of dry bones and they lived again. Unless someone is born of the flesh and born of the spirit, they can't understand or know what it is to have a relationship to God. One of them you have no choice in. The other one is what we understand and know that God is gives us life in Jesus Christ. And so he's talking to him. And Nicodemus, man, he's just, he can't get over it because what he knows is what he's been taught. I mean, he can, as a Pharisee, 
as a ruler of the, the Jews, he can trace his physical lineage all the way back to Abraham. He knows generationally who he is. He knows his pedigree. He knows his heritage. And what he's thinking when Jesus says, you come just like everybody else does. You have to be born again. He's thinking, really? My physical birth is no better than a Gentile's? Surely my physical birth is better than a Samaritan's. We, we looked at the Samaritan woman last week and, and what people thought about her. And, and so what Jesus tells him is you have to have a spiritual birth. You have to come back and be changed. No amount of religious knowledge or study in this age, no degree is going to save you. I don't care how long you've been in Sunday school. I don't care how many Bible verses you know. I don't care if you can quote the books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and not miss up any of the minor prophets. I don't care if you could win every Bible drill competition and you have perfect attendance from the time you were on the cradle roll till the time you go home on the roll. It doesn't matter. Religion is not going to save you. It's what caused Paul to write, I know in whom I have believed. Not what, not the what of what I believe, but the whom, the person of Jesus Christ. Do you have a relationship, something that changed you, not just an intellectual knowledge of facts and figures, but do you have a relationship to Jesus Christ? Now, here's the problem. We ought to grow. And the difficulty with a lot of us in the church today is that we're not spiritually mature, okay? Maybe you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ at age six or seven or eight or 10 or 20, and the problem is you're still just as spiritually mature as you were at eight, at six, or 12, or 10, or 20, okay? You haven't grown in your faith. But if we mature in our faith without a knowledge of who we are worshiping, of who we are following, if it's just the what, what happens to us is that knowledge can give us a false sense of security. You can know a bunch of stuff and be lost, Nicodemus was. And if you have a relationship to Christ, if you're not careful, if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, all of the knowledge that I accumulate without focusing on the who can create in me a pharisaical spirit. Jonah had it. Jonah had all the knowledge of God that was there. But... He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid God would prove true on his word. He didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He didn't want it. He knew who they were, and that wasn't what they deserved. They didn't deserve what he had. The disciples were there. We looked at that last week. They come back from Sychar out to Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and they're looking at her going, looking at Jesus going to each other. Why is he talking to her? She's a woman and a Samaritan. She's no good. Does he not know what he's doing? The Pharisees had it. I mean, the, there was the, the, the scribe that stood at, you know, and, and prayed, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. 
if we're not careful, the knowledge that we accumulate will cause us to be judgmental of the very people that Jesus Christ says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. The moment you and I enter the kingdom of heaven through a relationship to Jesus Christ, it quits being about us. It starts being about the next person that God wants to reach through us. Now, the second thing that this passage, I want, I want us to see in this passage is, is that what matters is the answer. Look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven. Jesus is talking. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Now, I want you, I want you to see there is a B word that occurs five times in these four verses. It's not baptism, okay? It is the word believe. Five times in four verses, Jesus says, everyone who believes, anyone who believes, anyone who doesn't believe, anyone who can believe, anyone who will believe. Five times, Jesus puts the emphasis. What he's talking about is not water baptism. What he is talking about is a belief, a faith, a trust that God alone can save you through what Jesus Christ did on the cross through his death, burial, and his resurrection. That's it. That's what he wants you to grab. And he wants us to begin to understand in this life, it's as I own that, if I want to win in this life. Now, remember, who designed this life? See, Satan would love to have us believe that he designed this life. And the Bible tells us, writes, uh, one of the authors of, of one of the books of the Bible tells us that God gave Satan limited authority over this realm for a time. And, and so Satan would love for us to believe that we have to live this life according to his rules. But he didn't. Why? Because God designed life. Satan didn't. And so what I can do, even when the world tells me I can't, what I can do is I can own the principles of faith and belief. And I can begin to live my life according to those principles. I can do my business according to what the word of God says. Not according to what man says. I can run my family. Run my family. I can raise my family. I don't run anything in my family. Laurie will tell you that that submission thing is something God is still working on her on, okay? But I can raise my family according to the principles of faith. I can interact with my friends according to the principles of faith. I can date, if that's where you are in your age, I can date according to the principles of faith. I can study and learn and participate in my activities according to the principles of faith. I don't have to cheat. I don't have to do it the way the world says. I own faith. If I believe, that becomes the foundation of everything that I do. And every decision I make, I make according to my faith. What I believe and know about the person of Jesus Christ. God's word challenges us today to, to know what matters is the answer. So who I start with and where I start is the key. When are we gonna quit believing this world and take hold of the proper perspective of faith in grace to make sure that we're living life the way that God wants us to? 
David Faraday is a former professional golfer. He is currently a sports analyst. He's got a great sense of humor, and he does a lot of commentary. And he tells a story back when he was in the professional ranks of an up-and-coming professional golfer. He's never revealed who this guy was. But he was an up-and-coming professional golfer in the 70s. He was playing in his first Masters at Augusta. And in that day and time, you couldn't bring your own caddy to that tournament, okay? You had to use a local Augusta caddy. You couldn't bring your own caddy. Whoever toured with you on the pro tour couldn't come. You had to use one of the local caddies to play at Augusta. And this guy was so confident in his own ability and everything that he can do that he told his local caddy, here's your instructions. You are to carry my clubs, give me the club I want, and remain silent the rest of the time. I don't need any advice from you about the course. I don't need any dis, you know, discussion about what shots to hit. You just stay silent the whole time we're on the course. So the caddy's doing what he's supposed to. He's carrying the clubs, carrying the, you know, giving them what he needs, polishing, wipe off, not saying a word. They get to the 10th hole, and this golfer tees off on the 10th hole, and his drive fades just a little bit more than he wants to, and he lands in the edge of the trees on the right side of the 10th hole at Augusta. They come up, they assess the lie, it's a good lie. He looks at the caddy, he says, this is what I'm doing with this club. I'm going to take that club, I'm going to hit this shot low, I'm going to fade it around the trees, it's going to curve out around the trees, it's going to land on the green, roll up by the pin. He gets in there, executes the shot perfectly. Ball comes out low, fades around the trees, clears the end of the trees, rolls up, hits, rolls up by the pin, and he turns in his triumphant, arrogant spirit and looks at his caddy and says, well, what do you think about that shot? And his caddy, for the first time in 10 holes, speaks and says, that wasn't your ball. <laughs> Be careful what ball you're swinging at. Because if you hit the wrong one, that shot doesn't count. And they penalize you for it. Same thing's true in life, guys. Every shot that we hit pursuing the things of this world and not the things of God doesn't count. And not only that, there's a penalty at the end. You and I need to make sure that we are living life according to the principles of faith, that we are swinging at the correct ball. And if we do that, then the third part of this is that I take what I've learned about who has saved me, and I take what I know about the answer that has saved me, and I do with that what will then matter to others. Turn very quickly over to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. When you know in whom you have believed, not what you believe, but whom, and it's changed your life, then you do what matters to others. Look at verse 38. John chapter 19, verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Then they took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen cloths with, aromatics, with the aromatic spices according to the burial customs of the Jews. 
There was in the garden a place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation since the tomb was nearby. Now, let me explain a couple of things. The moment, okay, Passover's coming. Passover, the Jewish Passover starts at sundown on that day. The moment, and, and all the Pharisees are there. Remember, the rulers and the scribes are there watching Jesus be crucified. So they would have witnessed all of this. The moment Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea touch the dead body of Jesus Christ, they become ceremonially unclean and unable to participate in the Passover. For a Jew, for a Pharisee, for a scribe, that would be absolutely unheard of. Except Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus have already figured out that the Passover is a model of Jesus Christ. Who cares about the Passover? We found the true Lamb of God. Now, remember, the disciples at this point don't believe. Those guys have all scattered. They've run. They're hiding, and we're going to see them in, in, in you know, the story. We're going to see them a few days later hiding in an upper room. It was absolutely essential that Jesus Christ be buried and not left to the Roman uh, wills. Why? Because what the Romans would have done is they would have taken his body off the cross. What they did with the two thieves that were crucified is exactly what they would have done with the body of Jesus. They would have taken the body off the cross and thrown it on a common burial pile in a valley outside the city of Jerusalem. It would have been, there would have been no way to prove Jesus' resurrection. Also, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would, would, would share a borrowed tomb of a rich man. Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Joseph of Arimathea wouldn't have had his tomb in this crucifixion site, okay? He was a Jew. That would not be his tomb, okay? It would be like the other day I noticed that they were having burial plot sales in the Eastland Cemetery, okay? And if you wanted a plot on high ground, it was such and such price. If you wanted one of the floodplain plots that we saw last a couple weeks ago after all the rain, it was half price, okay? This was a half price tomb. All right, nobody would have wanted to be buried in this tomb, but notice it's a new tomb. It's just been dug. Why would Joseph of Arimathea dig a tomb where he wouldn't want to be buried except the fact that he knew, he knew, and Nicodemus knew what was going to take place. They knew Jesus. The disciples didn't. They're scared to death. They didn't know this was going to happen. They all run. Nicodemus and Joseph did. How do we know? Because Nicodemus had gone and pre-purchased 75 pounds of spices and the cloth to bury Jesus. Ahead of time, the markets would have all been closed. He couldn't go. Oops, we wait. He's crucified. We got the stores were closed. Passover was coming. He's pre-prepared. Why? Because he knows. And finally, he doesn't come at night this time. His faith takes center stage. He's not scared anymore. He's not afraid anymore because he knows the one in whom he has believed. And what he does 
it helps secure the body. For what we know and what we read between the lines, Joseph goes to Pilate, Nicodemus stays and guards the body. They together take the body off the cross. They take the body to the tomb. They are there when the tomb is secured. And because the tomb is secured, because it's close and it's secured, stone rolled, guards posted, when the resurrection happens, it's credible. And so you and I get to believe in a credible resurrection from the grave because of the actions of a man who believed. What matters most? It's not the years of service that you can accumulate. It's not the knowledge. In the seventh chapter of John's gospel, Nicodemus tries to defend Jesus and the Pharisees challenging him. And they say, man, are you a Galilean? Don't you know no prophet comes from Galilee? Go study the scriptures. Look at John 7, 52. Go study the scriptures and see for yourself. You know what Nicodemus did? Exactly that. He went and studied all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and said, you're right. This is him. And he believed, and his life was changed. If you and I study and accumulate a bunch of knowledge and do nothing with it, then we are what Paul says, a clanging cymbal or a crashing gong. We have no purpose. What we are to do is to take the knowledge we have and serve out of love. What matters most? What matters most for you today is this. Do you have a relationship to Jesus Christ that's changed your life? I don't care about the day you got baptized. Man, that, that's an important wedding ring step. It, it shows everybody else who we are, but it's not what you know. It's not intellectually what you've learned. It's do you have a relationship to the person of Jesus Christ that's changed your life forever? I know in whom I have believed. Do you have a relationship? Do you know that you know that you know if you died today, you would spend eternity with him in heaven? John writes in 1 John 5, 11, these things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know. Do you know? And if you don't know, man, I can't think of a better day to win. You know, there's a, there's a movie, I don't know if you, you watch a lot of movies, I think it was Armageddon, you know, Bruce, in, Bruce not, not Armageddon, Bruce Willis, what is it? You know, the, the space, the Armageddon space movie. And right before he hits the button and blows up himself in the, in the, the, the asteroid, he says, we win, Gracie. We win. Man, if you know Jesus, we win. When it all comes apart. Man, I don't wring my hands at this world anymore. The world is the world, but Christ is Lord. We win. And I can't think of a better day than Father's Day to win. Do you have a relationship to Jesus Christ? Not what you know, but do you know him? And if you don't, you can. It's pretty simple. Everyone who believes on the name of the Son of God shall be saved. Now, what are you doing with what you know? The Word of God tells us that we have a grace gift. 1 Peter 4, 10 says that every one of us has a gift of grace. Romans 12, 6 through 8 identifies what some of those grace gifts are. The gift of prophecy, exhortation, leadership, giving, mercy, 
Those things are the things that he lists in there that, that, that are a part of our uh, exhort, you know, exhortation, building people up. Uh, all of those things are things that he says. And, and, and guys, hear me. It's not just using your talents. Cindy is a talented piano player. Okay, she's talented. Plays beautifully. That is a talent. That is not a spiritual gift. It's a talent. You know, Tim and, and Peggy, who sang early service, they have a talent for singing. Singing is not a spiritual gift. It's a talent. And praise God, they use their talents for Christ. But the reality is you have a grace gift. And if you're not using your grace gift within the ministry of the body of Christ, the church is weaker and not doing everything that she's supposed to do. And, and when we are asked to serve in one of those areas, prophecy, exhortation, leading, giving, uh, serving, mercy, when we're asked to serve in one of those six areas and we say, man, I, I just can't do that, what we do is we make God out to be a liar because we have a grace gift. And it's time for us to start using our grace gift. Or maybe just very simply today, there's somebody that you know who needs to know. And your job, your purpose is to tell them about Jesus. That's it. That's your job. It's to tell them who Jesus Christ really is. What matters most is a relationship that changes who we are. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day that you've given us. And I just pray, God, that you would take these next few moments, use them to speak to our hearts and to challenge us. God, I pray if there's somebody here this morning, there is somebody here this morning. I promise you there's somebody here, Father, and you know that, who needs a relationship to you. God, today, speak to hearts. Challenge all the head knowledge to become heart knowledge, all the, the stuff we've accumulated to become those things of faith in you. Father, save somebody today. Help them call upon your name, the name of your one and only, only begotten son in faith and be saved. Lord, there are some of us here this morning and, and, and this is just a time of commitment for us to begin to use our gifts the way we've been uh, equipped to, to, to use our grace gift to take what we know and share it with somebody so that it matters. And maybe that's a person we need to pray for. Maybe it's a challenge we need to take up. Lord, maybe you want to add to this body. Maybe it, it, a lot of ways you want to move. God, I, I just pray you take these next few moments and speak to hearts. And we pray this today in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen.